God. I'd ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, continuing our studies there, returning after our communion service last week to this great epistle. We'll be in verse 5 today, but we'll take time to read from verse 1 through verse 6. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Amen. Let us just pray one last time, ask for the Lord's help as we hear His Word preached. Our Father, we do come asking one final time as we have come to this solemn occasion where we will hear the word of God preached. Lord, we ask that you will attend, that you will fill me with the Holy Spirit, that you will enable me, Lord, to preach thy word with power, Lord, with with passion. Lord, that you will cause the truth to come forth to our hearts. Lord, that you would forbid it from just taking up residence in our head without affecting our hearts and our hands. Lord, we pray now, pour out the Spirit of God upon us and enable us to rightly hear Thy Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, we're in verse 5 of this epistle, just making our way through. Uh, We may not always take just one verse at a time, though That's what our practice has been for the past several weeks. But especially in these uh, beginning verses, there is so much uh, that needs to be understood before we uh, go through the rest of the epistle. And as I said last time we were here in verse 4, we were looking at being chosen in Christ as the fountainhead, as it were, of all the other blessings. That that's where it all really begins in God's uh, decision, God's choice of His people, choosing them to bless them. And so now we've come to verse 5, and in many ways, uh, it almost fast-forwards to the end of that election, which we'll discuss here shortly. But it's like at the beginning, and then you have the goal, as it were, adoption. And so we'll read the text again. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of of his will. We have come to consider a subject that the theologian John Murray called the apex and epitome of grace. 
And what he's saying there is that this is really the climax of grace. That God would take rebellious sinners who scorned being a part of his family by the fall in Adam and bring them all the way to become sons of God. And so he calls it the apex and epitome of grace. And it has been said, I'm sure you've heard it said, that you can't choose your family members. And certainly some of us maybe have said that very same thing when we're comforting ourselves about certain people in our own families. But the astounding thing that we will consider today is that God chose all of His family members. All of His children. In spite of their faults, in spite of their failures, in spite of all that He knew they would do against Him, He chose them to be His children. And this text really further displays one of the major themes in this letter, which is the church's unity in Christ. We've noticed that before at the beginning of our studies, but according as He hath chosen us in Him. And what that should draw our attention to when Paul uses that word and, and uses it in that way, he's drawing our attention that genuine believers in Christ are one family. That we are all one in the Lord from whatever ethnicity, whatever cultural background, wherever we may be in the world, those who are in Christ are all a part of the one family of God. And that has vast implications as to how we should treat one another that I won't get into yet. Uh, but just to note it here that Paul is, is drawing our attention, as he will do through the rest of this epistle, always regarding the entire body of God's people in his language. But I want us to launch into this text with a definition of adoption in our mind, which comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 34. They ask, what is adoption? The reason I bring this definition before you is because you're going to see all its parts represented in this text today, all its various things. So the answer they give to what is adoption, adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. A wonderful definition representing God's testimony to what this adoption is. And so I want us to consider today from this text the blessing of being adopted through Christ. The blessing of being adopted through Christ. Included from verse 3 where you note that it is blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And this is one of those blessings. And so the first thing I want you to see from this text is that we see this adoption determined. This adoption determined. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. And so, we want to see here first that it was determined. It was determined. Having predestinated. That word predestinated could also be translated predetermined. Hedged in. Uh, encircled to this purpose and this plan. 
And so what we see here as we think about it being determined, that we see that this determination was included in election. That in verse 4, according as He hath chosen us in Him, and then verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. In other words, when God chose His people, He predestinated His people. He, he pre-encircled them. He hedged them into this plan so that there would be no alternative for those whom He had chosen. We learn a very simple yet profound lesson even just in considering that aspect of God's sovereignty that what God wants, He determines to be. Whatever He desires, whatever He wants, He determines it so that it is sure, so that it is fixed, and there's no alternative. The reason I say that is because this is glorious when you think about how the gospel was applied to people in the Old Testament and how people in the Old Testament could come to a saving knowledge of Christ, of the Messiah to come and be reconciled to God. They could do that because that's how sure this plan was. That's how determined it was. That there was no other way for history to fall out, as it were, other than God had determined. And so we, we just learn here, having predestinated us, it is impossible Impossible for anyone or anything to frustrate this plan. And, and all, throughout your, all throughout the Scriptures you see the, the, the tension. You, you see these things happening to Israel. You see this attempt of the devil to corrupt the Messianic line, to, to thwart the mission of Christ. And yet all along, you know that his efforts are futile. And it's the same today with the plan of God the advancement of Christ's kingdom. That as it has been determined to be, so it shall fall out. That the devil is, in a sense, in no way able to do anything against the plan of God. And not one, not one, having predestinated us, not one will fail to be gathered into this family. And that should bring a comfort to all of our souls. As you think about yourself and as you think about the rest of the people in this world. That's the first thing here. It was determined as we think about this adoption determined. But the second thing is that it was determined according to the Father's decree. It was determined according to the Father's decree. Having predestinated us according to the good pleasure of His will. Of His will, determined according to the Father's decree. I say the Father's because, as we've seen before, that's who's the focus of this choice and of this predestination. Blessed be God, the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us according as He hath chosen us, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. And so it is the Father that is in view. Now that doesn't, as we've looked at in the past, that doesn't exclude the other members of the Trinity. That doesn't exclude the, the Son or the Holy Spirit. But it is pointing us back again to the covenant of redemption. Now I'm not going to go into all those details we've seen before, but John 17 too, according as the Father had given to a people to Christ, 
And we see the father as, as it were, the architect devising the plan and the son submitting to the plan and fulfilling it by his person and work and the Spirit of God applying that person and work to God's people. But the focus is on the father, determined according to the father's decree because the word will there can be uh, translated decree according to the good pleasure of his decree, as it were. And so as we think about this, I just want to note a couple of things because we, we say that, that the Father decreed, but sometimes we don't think about all the, the, the ramifications of that. And so as it relates to the adoption, I just want us to consider a couple things about what the Father decreed. The Father decreed to adopt a definite number of people that no man can count. A definite number of people that no man can count. And the Father decreed to adopt a family whose diversity no man can fathom. A definite number that no man can count and a family whose diversity no man can fathom. If you'll turn to Revelation chapter 7, we'll see this here as it relates to this adoption. Revelation chapter 7, and we'll read from verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is John the Apostle uh, beholding uh, the vision that he's being shown. Verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. A great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people. Now the reason I, I bring that to our attention is because we often don't think of what that actually is going to be like. I mean, can you just imagine like just the crowds of people you've seen before, either on the news or at some place, and yet there's going to be this innumerable multitude of people from every kindred, tongue, and tribe. And you, you stop to think of who, who is all going to be there and, and how diverse their backgrounds, how deep they were plunged into sin, how close they were to death. When the Lord brought them to Christ, I'm thinking particularly of the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, persecuting the church of God, seeking to waste it. And yet, by the grace of God, according as the Father had decreed to adopt him, brings such a wicked person into this family. And then, the thief on the cross you think about that. This man, hours away from death, if that, about to go into eternity without Christ, and yet, really as it were on his deathbed, the Lord says, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so all manner of people are going to be in this family. And it is a diversity that we can't even fathom of people brought in from all around the world. 
And so the Father decreed those things. But then, in addition to that, think about this. The Father decreed to ordinarily gather all of His children through the preaching of the gospel. You think about that. I say ordinarily because we recognize that there are uh, those who, who die in infancy uh, without having heard. And uh, depending on what you believe about that subject, I tend to believe that the Father imputes to them, uh, regenerates them and imputes to them uh, saving faith. Uh, but we're not on that subject. But that's why I say ordinarily gather all of his children through the preaching of the gospel. And the reason I bring this up is not only because of this subject and how it, it tends, some people tend to twist it and pervert it to mean that we just sit back and do nothing as it relates to evangelism, but more importantly, because of how this displays the power of God. Think with me that the Father not only predestinated, He not only determined that these people were going to be adopted, but He so determined it that the way He would adopt them was through the preaching of the gospel. In other words, He chose to display His limitless power through limited instruments. He takes, he takes you and me. He takes fallible people. He takes irresponsible creatures. And He chooses to use them as the means to gather in all His children. To the point that not one will be lost. So that even though He uses limited, fallible human beings to do it, it's still certain and sure and I find it fascinating that the Lord has decreed to display His power in this way. To bring in this definite number that no man can count. And to be so merciful and gracious to have such a diversity of people. He didn't adopt the best of the best, as it were. He adopted the worst of the worst. So it was determined according to the Father's decree. But also, lastly here, as we think about it being determined, it was determined according to the Father's delight. Not only according to His decree, but according to His delight. Having predestinated us according to the good pleasure of His will. The good pleasure of His will. As it could be translated, the delight of His will. Or the delight of His decree. This same word occurs in Matthew uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 26, with our Lord Jesus praying to the Father. He says there regarding, uh, well, verse 25 helps to read, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. That's the word. It seemed good in thy sight. And so it was according to the Father's delight. Now, what are some things we can think about there as it relates to His delight? Why was it His delight? Well, there's only so far we can, we can go there because we don't know the mind of God. But we can at least say this. It was His delight because it was the best thing to be done. It was the best thing to be done. Now, you think about that out of all the things that, that you could think of that could be done. 
And yet, the Father so delighted in this decree because it was the best thing to be done. In other words, what God does cannot be improved upon. That this, this plan of predestination and these people that He's chosen to adopt, none of it can be improved upon. It is absolutely flawless and perfect. And as it is that, He delighted, he delighted to do it. To the good pleasure of His will. But also, it was His delight because it exalts His grace. I believe we can say that. It was His delight because it exalts His grace. In other words, it is a gift of the free grace of God. Our catechism said, an act of God's free grace. And this verse points us to that very thing, having predestinated us. And we've, we've gone over that the past few weeks as you think about us never miss that when when Paul uses that word us the word us is the same people referred to in chapter 2 who were dead in trespasses and sins walking according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the children of disobedience that's the us and that's you and that's me if you know Christ that's you you who are walking astray from the Lord, you who are walking in disobedience to the law of God, He chose you, predestinated you, according to this, unto this adoption. And why did He do it? Well, the same, the ending of verse 4 relates to really both of these aspects of God's decree according, according as He hath chosen us in Him at the end of the verse in love in love and you could say the same thing in verse 5 having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ in love you can say the same thing there that the Father exalts His grace as He sovereignly chooses not due to anything in you or me or any of His people, but of His free grace chooses to set His love upon sinners. And so what do we say to such a truth? We say, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Behold it. Don't, don't just let that kind of wash over you and, and go out of your mind. Behold this truth. Behold that the Father predestinated you to adoption according to the good pleasure of His will, according as He delighted to do it for His glory, to exalt His grace. And we are to behold that and to meditate on that so that it shapes how we live, how we think in terms of our walk with God. And so, that is the first thing. But the second thing, I want you to consider here, not only this adoption determined, but this adoption described. Because it is very helpfully described in our text. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. Us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. There's a lot of details there that are important for us to think about. And so, the first thing we want to think about as we think about this description is that its description implies a distinction. 
its description implies a distinction. Having predestinated us unto the adoption. In other words, it implies that not all people are God's children in the sense referred to in this text. Now that may be obvious to you, but it is not obvious to everyone in this world. And there are many who would propound such an error as that to say that, well, everyone's God's children. Everyone's you know, in a right relationship with God. And so it is important to recognize that this is drawing us to a distinction. Paul is referring to a body of people that are expressing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls them saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Those are the same ones included in the us along with himself. But yet we do have to acknowledge that there is a sense in which all are God's children by creation. By creation. We read in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul at Mars Hill uses this language and it, it shows us this reality. In verse 28, he says to them, For in Him, that is God, we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. His offspring. And that shows us that in God's common grace, as it were, man as created in his image is his offspring, as it were, in a general sense, in a creation sense. But it is only those who embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that are God's spiritual children. And that's what we're pointed to in verse 5. Us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And I take the time to point this out to you not only because it's in the text, but because it's a vital distinction that we need to make in our day. Because so many people are deceived by universalism. Everyone's going to heaven. Everyone's going to be there. Why are you preaching this hate speech and telling people they need to repent and believe in Christ? Well, we do that because we know the truth. We do that because we know that except they come to Christ, they'll be lost for an eternity in hell. And what more loving thing can you do than share that truth with someone? And so I point this out. Don't be afraid when you talk to people to point out this distinction and to tell them the truth. So, its description implies a distinction. It also implies a distinction even further in the spiritual realm. I'm not going to take time to turn there. But this word is also used, so I take the time to point it out in Romans 9.4 regarding Israel. To them belongeth the adoption and the covenants and the giving of the law and the commandments, those things. And it's referring to them there as a, a national body of people that were adopted, as it were, by God out of all the other nations. But it is not speaking of spiritual Adoption. So I take time to note that. But its description implies a distinction. But also here, secondly, it is described as a legal act. It is described as a legal act. Paul uses this, this word adoption unto the adoption of children. And that, that phrase, that language points us to the Roman law of his day. And that's what he's drawing from. And this law in, in Roman times 
It made the adopted child, even if a slave, even if a slave prior to the adoption, it made that child equal to the natural children with a right to the inheritance. Now, I trust you see how significant that language is. That even if it was a slave prior, the lowest member of society in Roman culture, to receive this adoption in Roman law was to make them equal with, with whoever it was. It could be the highest nobility. If they were adopted into that family, it made them equal with those children and co-heirs with those children. And so we read in Romans 8, verse 17, regarding the people of God. Verse 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. Co-heirs, as it were. It is hard it is hard to fathom. It's hard to really grasp the level of grace that is displayed in our adoption. I mean, you realize what this is saying when we're called joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ that God is saying that He has made us equal to Him in the sense that we are brought into union with Him. And that our humanity as it relates to Christ is equal to Him. That as He is the perfect man, so we are in Him the perfect people made righteous according to the law of God by the imputation of Christ's righteousness. So that according to this adoption, we're brought into God's family and made equal to Him. Given a right to the inheritance of heaven so that we have treasures laid up in heaven incorruptible. Now, I don't know about you, but it's just hard for me to fathom that. To even really see the, the true significance of those statements and what this is saying to us. And how this should affect how we treat each other in the church. I want to segue here as you, as you think about this just from another angle, how we should treat one another in the church. Because as you think about the fact that every believer is made equal to Christ in terms of our standing before God, how that should affect how we treat one another. That there should never be a sense of inequality. Never be a sense of, of playing down someone's uh, being in Christ. And I'm not saying that happens here, but I'm just pointing out that that does happen among Christians. That there can be, as it were, a, a downplaying of this person's standing in the church. And that may be for several reasons, but at the same time, we just have to remember if they know Christ, where they stand before God. And this becomes practical when you think about who the Lord has brought into this family. You think about Ananias in Acts chapter 9. In verse 17, after he says to the Lord, I've heard by many of this man 
and how much havoc he's wreaked upon the church. And yet, when he meets Saul, what does he say? He says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. After Saul has been hauling Christians out of their homes, taking them into prisons, forcing them to blaspheme against Christ. And yet immediately, this man, according as God had revealed it to him, calls him Brother Saul. Equality in the family of God. And we see that there. And we should see that with one another. So this was, it made this adopted child to have that status. And we see that it is an act by which God changes the legal status of a sinner. As I said, it is described as a legal act. And so as you think about the Roman law, it, it changed the legal status of a sinner. When God does it, He changes our legal status. It's very similar in a way to justification, though it is distinct. We are regenerated, justified by faith, and then adopted into God's family. And it really all happens simultaneously, as it were. But it's important to keep the distinction. Because as God does this, you cease to be a child of wrath, and you become a child of God. Ephesians 2, verse 3. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And yet God changes our legal standing. And you can immediately see, as I, that none of us are worthy of such an honor. To be called sons of God. To be called joint heirs with Christ. And perhaps you feel that way this morning. Perhaps you feel... that could never be spoken of me. And yet, I just, I just want to note the display we have of a father's love. And I thought of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And just note here what he says. The prodigal says, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Though you may feel unworthy of this honor, and though I may feel unworthy of this honor, God, when we come into His family, He treats us in light of our union with Christ. And He puts on us the best robe, kills the fatted calf, treats us as the best of His sons. That's what He does when he performs this act. So it is described as a legal act. But it is also described as a covenant commitment. It's a covenant commitment. And that's really the other side of this. Paul's drawing from Roman law, no doubt. But as others have pointed out, he's also drawing from Old Testament revelation. And that's included in this language. The adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. 
to Himself. The Father adopting us to Himself. That means God is pledging Himself in this adoption to be our Father. It's a, it's a covenant pledge. It's a seal. It's something that He is vowing to do. And that means that God will never, ever leave you nor forsake you as His child. That, that no matter what you experience, no matter how you may fall in your walk with Him, He will never forsake you. Never leave you. He will always take care of you as His child. And it is not only that God will not leave you or forsake you. He cannot leave you or forsake you. So as He bound Himself to this covenant, that He cannot deny Himself as He has pledged Himself to this covenant. He has pledged in this commitment to conform you to Christ and to confirm you in glory. Romans 8.29 Having predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. And it goes on and ends in glorified, as you know. So it's from adopting us to glorifying us. He's pledged to do this work. He changes our legal status and then it goes into sanctification which is the next question in our catechism naturally and deals with how He brings us along to glory. So it is described as a covenant commitment. But also it is described as based solely on union with Jesus Christ. Based solely on union with Jesus Christ unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. Union with Christ, the basis of this adoption. And so, just to note here about this, this basis, this union with Him, as we've noted before, is a spiritual union. It takes place in time. John 1.12 says that we become the sons of God. I'll read it to you, John 1.12, John's Gospel, chapter 1. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. That is referring to the, the time that this, uh, this takes place as it occurs as we become the sons of God through faith in the operations of the Spirit. But also as you think about this basis, why is it important to, to hone in on that? Because this basis provides for the validity of this adoption. This basis provides for its validity. As we read about the Lord Jesus Christ in Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of the time was come, verse 4, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Until that took place, until He'd redeemed us from the law, until He had justified us by His work, until He had done that work, until He had fulfilled the law of God and, and obeyed it perfectly so that that righteousness could be imputed to us, this adoption couldn't take place. And so it is intimately tied to Christ's person and work and our union with Him. It enables it to be valid. God is just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. 
In a sense, we can say as it regards our legal standing before God, God could have no imperfect people in His family as it regards our legal standing. And you say, well, I'm not perfect, and none of us are in our practical life. But as our legal standing with God is, we are perfect in Christ. And so, this basis also provides the assurance of this adoption. The assurance of this adoption. For you might wonder, well, why would God adopt me? I'm not worthy of this adoption. And yet we're told that this adoption is not based in any way on you or on me. But solely on the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is adoption of children by or through Jesus Christ to Himself. It's a sovereign work of God. That's why the Catechism says it's an act of God. It's not a work that we contribute to. It's not a process in any way, but it's an act that God performs in not any way based on us. And so, it also provides, therefore, the endurance of this adoption. Not only the assurance of it. And, and Howard, what are you to look to when you think about your adoption? You're to look to Christ, to trust in Him that through Him you receive this adoption. And because you receive it through Him, it's going to endure for all eternity. It's, it's never going to wax away. There's never going to come a day where God says, I'm kicking you out of the family. You've, you've failed too many times. You're not a good son or you're not a good daughter. That will never happen. To a true believer. That will never take place. God has so decreed it to be through Christ that this adoption will endure for all eternity. But finally here, as we think about this description, it is described as a present reality with a future fullness. A present reality with a future fullness. Having predestinated us. These people are living at this time unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. And He speaks in, in past tense terms. And so there's a measure in which they've obviously received this adoption and they're enjoying something of the benefit of it. And so just to note here, as we come to our, a close, that presently, all believers are adopted. That that's the legal reality. And this is what Paul picks up on in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. There's a sense in which we're, we're awaiting. We're adopted and yet we are awaiting. For he says in verse 29, regarding the present case, that we're being conformed to the image of his Son. So we're already brought into the family, being conformed to the image of his Son, and yet we're awaiting to enter in to the fullness of the adoption. And so presently, all believers have not entered in to the full experience of this adoption. And so, we will have days in this life where we will not always feel 
necessarily like we're adopted. We'll not always feel it because we're groaning in this world waiting for the fullness of the experience. And this is what John hones in on, which we sang earlier in 1 John chapter 3. He says after verse 1 regarding beholding the manner of the love of God, Beloved, now are we, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not appear yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And what a day that will be when you will no longer sin. You will no longer have any shred of unbelief. You will no longer have any doubts or fears regarding life. You will be made perfectly conformed to Christ. This, if you know Christ, this is your position in Him, adopted into the family of God, made a child of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the blessing of being adopted through Christ. It is adoption that you in no way contribute to, and it's adoption that in no way can you fall from. I'll close with two quotes that I, I pray the Lord will help you take with you and further meditate on. One from Thomas Watson regarding this truth of adoption. He says, It were much for God to take a clod of dust and make it a star. It is more for Him to take a piece of clay and sin and adopt it for His heir a piece of clay and sin, and he takes that, makes man from the dust, and adopts it for his heir. And then Samuel Willard, upon this subject, he says, Could we draw all the water out of this well, it would make us to think ourselves in heaven before we come there. This is something we need to meditate on. It is something, as we said from John, we need to behold this truth. That as you daily go through your life, you behold the truth that you've been made sons, daughters of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Keep this with you. Take it with you today. And... and Ask the Lord to just help us to enter in to the experiential nature of His truth. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give Thee thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for what You have said to us today from Thy Word. We thank You for the reality of adoption. Lord, that sinners like us could be brought into the family of God. Lord, that you would choose us to be holy and without blame before you.
and love. Lord, we can hardly fathom how deep Thy love is. Lord, help us. Help us to live in light of this truth. As John goes on further to say that we ought to pursue holiness in light of what we are, sons of God. Lord, help us, we pray. Help us to honor our Father in heaven. Lord, we do pray that if there is any lost soul here or, or listening online or that will listen, we pray that they will hear these truths and realize that they are not yet brought into this adoption. And we pray that they will therefore look to Christ and believe on Him and receive this wonderful gift from God. O Lord, please bless us throughout the rest of this day. Help us to meditate on Thee. Lord, keep us from falling. Keep us from falling. Help us to return here tonight to know Thy presence again. For we ask Thee in Jesus' name. Amen.